So over the past several weeks, we've been talking about, as a church, what it looks like to be a detectable disciple. We've been doing so by looking at the life of Daniel, in particular, Daniel chapter 1, where we see this, this great thing unfolding right before us, where, where Daniel and a couple of his buddies, actually a whole bunch of people, were taken captive by the Babylonians. And so you've got this kid, he's about 15 years old, he's a young man, He's been taken away from his home. He's been taken away from everything that he has known and loved. And he's forced into submission by Nebuchadnezzar. And in this moment, there's not a single one of us that would look at Daniel and say that we would fault him or or not even understand why he would just want to give up and quit. But Daniel doesn't do that. Because as you remember, over the past several weeks, we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about the fact that Daniel knows who he is. He knows who he belongs to. He's a child of God. He studied the scripture. He knew what God had commanded him to do. He knew what he was obligated to do. Daniel was very aware of his circumstances and his situation. He had a plan. His plan was simple. I'm going to follow God. He kept and maintained a righteous life. He was not self-righteous. He knew that, that God didn't want him to do certain things, and so, and so he held to those things, but he never like made it about him. He always made it about God. And this morning, we're going to continue about talking about the detectable disciple. But this morning, we're going to talk about what are the consequences of being a detectable disciple. And a lot of times when we hear the word consequence, we think, well, you know, Daniel got thrown in a lion's den. There was that whole ordeal with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a furnace. There's all these opportunities where where Daniel could have lost his life or he could have been made to look like a fool. But that's not the kind of consequence I'm talking about today. The kind of consequence I'm talking about today is really the impact that we have as a detectable disciple. Because the reality of it is, is when we follow God and we pursue God and we obey God, that will leave a mark that we can't even begin to imagine about how awesome God really is. If if you're sitting there this morning and you've wanted to reach out to your family and you wanted to reach out to your friends and you wanted to leave an impact on this world like Daniel did, I'm here to tell you this morning, I'm going to tell you how to do that. But it's not going to be some three-step program that I'm going to give you as a recipe for success. We're actually going to look at Daniel, and we're going to talk about what were some of those elements that led him to have an impact for God. And I'm going to tell you, one of the most important things is Daniel recognized, and he realized that he was created to be awesome. He recognized and realized that you are created to be awesome. Do you know how I know that? Because God's awesome. And we were created in His image. Amen? Father, we love You and we thank You. And as we go to Your Word this morning, we pray in the name of Jesus that You would speak to each one of us in the way that we need to hear. These are Your people and Your words, Lord Jesus. Speak through me now. Help us, God, to just to follow you, to glorify you, and to do so without fear. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Go ahead, you can clap. So what Daniel understood and what the kid president just said to us is very simple. We are intentionally created on purpose with the way that you look, with the hairs on your head or the lack thereof, everything about you, God does not make mistakes. He created you with a plan in mind and each of you is awesome. Each of you, God has laid a road in front of you. His calling or his will for each one of us. And see, Daniel was in a set of circumstances that, to be really honest, were terrible. I mean, how many of you 15-year-olds would be excited about being ripped out of your home, being forced into a culture that you couldn't stand, and being forced to learn everything about that culture? But Daniel knew that God had a plan for his life, that he was created in the image of God, that he belonged to the Lord, and he was going to do everything, therefore, to bring glory to God. I'm about to solve the biggest mystery the world has ever known. Are you ready? Do you know what the reason for life is? Hold on. It's to glorify God. That's it. I just solved the biggest question that everybody in the world goes to the climbs mountains to figure out. I'm telling you right now, the reason we exist is to bring glory to God. And the Bible has laid out this map for us that's awesome. It's this simple. We're called to do two things in this life. What are they? Come on, please tell me you remember. Love God God and love love others. And when we love God and we love others, we don't do that for the purpose of saying, look how great I am. We do that with the purpose of saying, look how good God is. Our point in life is to bring glory to God. If you don't believe me, the book of Isaiah tells us so. It tells us in Isaiah, and I'm just going to read it from my notes here because it's easier. (laughs) Isaiah 43, 5 through 7, God's talking about ransoming his people because he loves his people. He's going to pay a ransom. And he says this in Isaiah 43, 5 through 7. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And the south, do not hold them. Uh, Do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. I want to be real clear about something this morning. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. Yes, he created us to bring glory to himself. But it's not a requirement. It's awesome because we get to be this part of of existence. God loves you as much now as he ever will or ever has. You can't work your way into heaven. You hear me? It's, It's not by works. It's by faith in God Alone, And I'm here to tell you, if, if you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are one of his, and you are created to bring glory to God. Daniel understood that. In our little passage of Scripture today, found in Jeremiah, excuse me, my Bible's all messed up here. It's not found in Jeremiah. It's found in Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. There's this story going on, and you remember the story. If you weren't here, I'm going to bring you up to speed. 
what's happening is, is Daniel was taken captive, like I said, and he's forced into, into the service of the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And his friend, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are now with him. And, and what's happening is, is the king says, okay, what's going to happen, boys? You're going to come in here. We're going we're gonna to re-educate you guys. And Daniel, knowing who he was, knowing who he belonged to, went, okay, you know what? God will use this. God, you have a plan for my life. I'm going to submit. I'm going to obey. You have put rulers in place above me and before me. And so, God, I'm going to roll with it. I'm going to trust you. So Daniel trusted God, and he said, okay, I'll get re-educated. I'll learn, I'll learn about Babylon. And then what happens is he says, well, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to change your identity by changing your name. And Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel... They roll with it. Okay, it's not worth fighting over. We know who we belong to. We know who God says we are. We know what the word of God says. This isn't going against anything that God told us. We're just going to roll with it. And then he says, now I want you guys, I want you to stop eating that that vegetarian diet that you're on, and I want you guys to come, and and I want you to eat some of this meat that we sacrifice to our gods. It's really good. We're going to cook it well done for you. It's going to be great. Now for Daniel, that's an issue. Because in the scriptures, he knows that the word tells him he is not to eat any meat defiled to another God, that is sacrificed to another God. And so Daniel stands up to, to, the, to the officer that comes to him and tells him that you're not going to eat this food anymore. He says, well, wait, I can't do that. It goes against what God believes. Daniel did not stand up with a two-by-four sized Bible and smack the guy across the face. He didn't say, look how righteous and holy I am. He simply said, God has commanded me not to do this, and I can't do it. And so for 10 days, after talking with the, the guard, he talks the guy into letting them have 10 days. He says, look, let, just, just do, it, do it the way that, that you guys want to do it. Let us do it this way for 10 days. And if we're wrong, if we're wrong, we'll do it your way. But Daniel says, I know that my God told me not to eat the meat this way, and I know that my God is going to provide for me. I don't know how he's going to provide for me. I don't know what he's going to do, but somehow God's going to provide for me. And so Daniel has faith. And so in this story, what ends up happening is, Daniel and his buddies, I don't know if they used like Pert Plus and their hair looked delicious or great or something like that, but they looked better than everybody else. They were obedient to God, and because of that obedience, let's read what the Bible says in Daniel 1. uh, We'll start at 16. They looked better, and so the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were uh, to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge, understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. By their obedience to God, he blessed them. God equipped them, and he took care of them. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which are also Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's other names. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. See, what's happening is is these guys remained committed. They remained righteous. Remember, we talked about that. They remained who they were. And because of that, God blessed them. And, And what we see is the beginning of a story. 
Because when you go up to Daniel 6, there's this moment where Daniel's, there's lots of kings that kind of come by the wayside. There's a new guy in town by the name of King Darius. Some say this was actually Cyrus the Great. And he's there with King Darius. And Daniel, by this time, has grown in his stature and his wisdom and his knowledge. And he is the most trusted wise person on the king's council. And so when you have someone like that who's awesome, who is fantastic, and everything that they do is great, other people get jealous. And so all the other satraps and, and leaders and wisdom thinkers and, and, and chanters and sorcerers, they try to find some dirt on Daniel, and they can't find a thing. Why? Because he was obedient to God and he lived righteously. Not selfish righteously, but he always pointed to God. They couldn't find anything on him, and so they started joking around saying, the only way we're going to get this guy to screw up is if we pass a law that says he can't pray to God. So they convinced the king through trickery to do so. They had the king pass a decree for 30 days that they could not pray to anybody but the king. And so they knew that as soon as they did this, they would bust in on Daniel and find him praying to his God because that's what he was good for. So sure enough, they bust in. They find Daniel praying to his God. They take him to Darius. And they say, look, this guy was breaking your decree. Darius went through the roof. He was irate because he loved Daniel. Daniel poured wisdom into his life. He trusted Daniel, and he knew right away he had been tricked. The word of God tells us in Daniel 6 that actually for the rest of that night, the king tried to find a way, a loophole to get out of it, but a decree is a decree. And so he had to sentence Daniel to death. And when carrying out the sentence, the king went with them. And the king usually will not do that. He'll usually not go down to the doorsteps of all the bad stuff happening. He goes down and he looks at Daniel and he says, Daniel, I pray that your God will protect you. And Daniel in that moment could have whined and cried and begged for his life. But instead he looks at the king and he says, long live the king. And so Daniel in his faithfulness, the consequence of his awesomeness, of, of, of him following and being obedient to God, was that he got thrown into a lion's den. The king is upset and heartbroken. And so what happens is, is Daniel's God shows up for him. So instead of a death sentence, he got a sleepover with Siegfried and Royd's lions. Because they come in the next morning, they open the gate, and to their surprisal, Daniel's just sitting there petting the cats going, Hey guys. Darius is ecstatic and he's so excited and he says, get him out of there. I want to protect this guy. In fact, I'm so mad at you guys. Kill all of them. Throw them in the pit and their families and their dogs and cats. Darius is through the roof and he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually go one step further, Daniel. I want you to, we're going to send a decree to all the people in my kingdom that they are to fear and respect your God. And so what started is this little platform for Daniel of, of being obedient to God, of standing up for who he believed he was in God, would later turn it into an entire kingdom receiving a decree stating you will love and respect and reverence and fear the God of Daniel. And I'm going to tell you right now, God wants to do something mighty with your life. And it's not about you going out and doing some special project. It's not about you going out and creating an organization that solves world hunger. What it's about is you being committed and obedient to God. If you want God to do amazing things through your life, then all you have to do is be committed and obedient to Him. You can't do anything. And the quicker you come to that realization, the better off you're going to be. Amen? And Daniel knew that. When we look at Daniel's life, we can pick out three major themes that, that, that I want you to write down. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down right now. The first one I want you to, I just want you to write a little math equation for me. 
I want you to write this. Glory plus excellence plus no fear equals true impact. Everybody get that? Glory, or yeah, glory plus excellence plus no fear equals true impact. Because, see, Daniel recognized the purpose of life was to bring glory to God. And as I shared with you earlier, each one of us is created to bring glory to God. To glorify God is the chief end of our entire existence. And because Daniel got that, God did amazing things through him. And I'm going to tell you right now as a congregation, if you begin to see your life as a worship service, as an opportunity to bring glory to God, he is going to do amazing things through you. The second thing, as Kid President demonstrated us, you are created to be awesome. And if you're created to be awesome, you should serve the awesome one with awesomeness. Colossians 3 tells us that in everything that we do, we should work at it as if we are working for God himself. And I'm going to ask you a hard question right now. When you're at work, are you working for the person who sits a floor above you? Or are you working to glorify the God above you? Because there's a lot of moments in our jobs where we forget that they're actually our callings. And there's a lot of you that are called to places that you may not like, but you're called there. God wants to use you there. So stop going at it half, cocked. Go at it at full steam. You're supposed to do your work as if working for God. Listen to me. If you're playing like high school football and you're going out there and you're only given half, you're sinning against God. If God has given you the ability to kick field goals and you're not trying, you're sinning against God. If God has made you a savvy accountant and you are being lazy about it, you are sinning against God. Because you don't work for the firm that pays you. You work for God. And if you want to see an impact where you work, where you live... How do you treat your loved ones? Do you love them as if you're loving the Lord? Do you work at those relationships as if working for the Lord? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to see an impact in your community, you want to see an impact in in every aspect of your life, remember, you are first called to glorify God, and secondly, you are to work at everything with excellence as to working for the Lord. Amen? Stop cheating. Stop sneaking time. Do what you need to do to bring glory to God. Just like Daniel did. I think the last place on earth he wanted to be was serving the king of his captor. But he didn't complain, he didn't moan, he didn't gripe, and he recognized that God had a plan for his life. He submitted, he obeyed, and he worked at it with excellence. So much so that he then had the greatest voice in all the kingdom, which ultimately was God having the greatest voice in the kingdom. Isn't that cool how that works? Thirdly is this. This past week I had an opportunity with the pastors here at Christ Church to go, and we met with a group of pastors who met with David Jeremiah, who just recently wrote a book. It's not out yet, but we're actually going to have it in the bookstore for you guys. It's called, What Are You Afraid Of? And the reality of it is, in our Christian life, and we look at Daniel's life, there's so many things that fear keeps us from. 
When you think about Daniel's life, you think about it like this. In that first moment, here's this young punk 15-year-old kid coming up saying to the king, I'm not going to eat your food. That took some guts. It took some serious courage to do that. And Daniel knew that all through the scriptures, it's told constantly, fear not for the battle is mine. Do not be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. And I'm here to tell you right now, Christian, what are you afraid of? If you know that you belong to God, then what are you afraid of? The fear of failure is Satan's greatest tool. Do you hear me? God, as David Jeremiah says in his book, he says this, God did not give you a calling in your life to simply abandon you in it. When God called you to where you're at in life, he's obligated to be there and make sure that what you're called to goes through. Listen to me. That takes all the pressure off of us. We're simply called like the disciples to go get the lunch. Jesus will make the bread. Jesus will break up the fish. He will feed the 5,000. He just wants us to hand it out. And, And you're called by God to do something with your life, with your specific gift, with your specific ability, that you're to use to the fullest of its potential. And all he wants you to do is just be willing for him to use you. Is this making sense to you? What are you afraid of? The back of the Bible tells us clearly we win. Our purpose in life is to bring glory to God. It's that simple. We're to do so with excellence. And when we do so with excellence, we do not need to be afraid because we have a big God who loves us and wants to go before us and come in behind us. He will protect us. He does not grow tired. He does not grow weary. He is not weak. He is big, strong, and he is alive. So listen to me, brothers and sisters. Stop being afraid. And glorify God by loving others and loving him with everything in you. Amen. Father, we love you and we thank you. We praise you that you've called us out this morning, God. That a lot of times we think about being impactful on our world and we think about, oh, what could I do? What could I do? What, what great thing could I create? You know, how, could I do a tent revival to save bajillions of people? But the reality of it is, God, is you want us to be obedient to following you, to reading your scripture, and to trusting in you by not being afraid. And so, God, help us to live up to what you want us to do in this life, to glorify you. Help us to be excellent at everything that we work at because the reality is we do not work for man. We work for you. And through the work of our hands and through your church, you want to reveal yourself to the people of this world. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to serve you in this way. Go before us, God, in your name. Amen.